And he's doing what his dad told him. <laughs> his grandpa told his dad, you know, how to make it happen. Hey, good morning, Springbrook. And so good to see you all. Boy, we had a great weekend last weekend, didn't we? Yeah, celebrating Good Friday and Easter and there's so many people involved in that effort, and I just want to say thank you to all who made that celebration possible. How many of you heard of a granny shot before? Have you ever heard of a granny shot? Anybody out there? <laughs> well, this is a picture of Rick Berry, and he was playing basketball in the 50s and the 60s, and there was something very unique about the way... He shot th- uh, free, sh- free sh- <laughs> Thank you very much. Free throws. So you see, he's got it down here. And then he just lifts it up like that. And that's known as the granny shot. And you know what? Scientifically, you make more free throws, baskets that is, when you use that technique. In fact, usually it's about 70%, 7 out of 10 free throws. But somebody who's using the granny shot is up to like 9. And even high, he was even higher. He was a great basketball player all around. So you say, well, why don't they all do the granny shot? I mean, they want to score points for their team, don't they? Well, I just can imagine uh, they're a little bit macho, you know, and they don't want to do anything, you know, to tarnish their image like a granny shot, even though it is more effective. In fact, his son went into basketball as well, played at a school, and uh, he inherited from his dad. <laughs> His dad told him, and then his granddad told Rick, and so they're still throwing. Yeah, we're going to talk about granny shots today. How we as Christians need to take granny shots. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And we might be ridiculed because of it, might be made fun of, uh, whatever. That's why they don't do the granny shot. But we as Christ followers are always taking granny shots. Just a little bit different and people notice. And that's a good thing, right? Well, we're studying the book of Daniel. I'm really looking forward to this series, uh, five-week series on uh, the stories in Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Yeah. What's wrong with that picture? Was that kid eight years old or something? I mean, Daniel was 80 years old when he was in the lion's den. So there's a lot of stories we've picked up along the way through Sunday school and, you know, through our parents. And it's good really now to, to, to dig into them, right? Uh, to dig into them and have a good spiritual meal because Daniel is all about no compromise. No compromise. Yeah, man of integrity. So, this is our series, Stand Out for God, Stand Up for God, Stand Strong for God, uh, Stand Straight for Your Mother. 
or <laughs> stand in faith and stand firm. Encourage you to be the whole time with us. Uh, we're going to enjoy this uh, together. Well, first of all, let me give you a little background. You've got Israel, and during the time of Solomon, uh, Israel was, you know, the most powerful, the most influential uh, nation in the world. But what happened was that Solomon, given all that wisdom, he chose to sin, to marry into other families and other nations in order to make treaties and things like that. And so he started to go downhill, and when he died, a civil war broke out. And what you see on the map here is that, uh, there it is, uh, you had a civil war and two nations came out of that. Uh, first of all, you have the northern kingdom, which was Israel, uh, Samaria was the capital, and then you had uh, the nation of Judah, which is down in Jerusalem. Now, God had continued to warn people that, hey, if you guys keep sinning, I'm going to have to discipline you. I'm going to have to put you 70 years into captivity. And that's exactly what God did. God does discipline us when we're running from Him. I was thinking, what would it be like to be taken captive as an Israelite and taken to a foreign land? And I thought of refugees. These are Syrian refugees, and they're at the border of Turkey. They have nothing. They don't know where they'll live. It's a pretty desperate situation, isn't it? We need to pray for them when we see them in the news and do whatever we can to support them. But this is kind of maybe the feeling the Israelites had. Where did our nation go? Where are we? I don't like this. Well, it was discipline, so of course they wouldn't like it. Let's read Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his army came around the city of Jerusalem, besieged it, and then it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. What a desecration of God's holy things that were in the temple. It's so sad. But I want you to notice three different times as we say this passage, we're going to see those two words. And the Lord gave. So, if the Lord wasn't involved, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have been taken. But the Lord said, you need to be disciplined. So God made it happen that they were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon to be captive. And we've always got to remember that. God is in control. No matter what's going on in your life. You're totally confused, like, why is this happening? And 
Why is that not happening? And you got to remember, God is in control. Sometimes uh, you know, father, like myself, looks toward the future and says, wow, what is the United States going to be like in 20 years? I mean, how bad will it be then? Will Christian persecution uh, break out? Will you lose your job for being a Christian? I don't know, friends. But Rabbi Zacharias, who is a famed apologist, says we are right on the edge. So when we start to think about oh, what's going to happen to our children and grandchildren. But friends, I've got good news for you. When you die, God doesn't. When you die, God will still be the God of your children if they've accepted Him as their Savior. And He's brought through Christians all kinds of things. But He is in control. So He gave it over to Jehoiakim. Daniel 1.3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Now, what was King Nebuchadnezzar doing here? Well, he knew that he had this large group of people that were new to Babylon. And he knew that he needed to get some uh, indigenous leaders, people from within the group, to rise up and lead the people there while they were in Babylon. So, they were looking for the cream of the crop, you know, the best of the best. Uh, so they went to uh, look at different royal families, kids, uh, or men, and nobility, the people that were used to uh, ruling and grown up in homes where they had uh, fathers who were rulers. And they took the best out in order to solve this problem. Now, this is a job description, all right? Use without blemish of good appearance. Now, that's the world's value, right? You're going to lead. Got to look good. Got to look sharp. Look at Saul, right? He was the first king of Israel. And why did they choose him to be the first king? Because he was so good looking. And his whole reign was a disaster. That's why we don't follow the world. And skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. These were men who, uh, if they were trained in the right way, uh, they could represent the king. And to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, uh, which was the Babylonians. Daniel 1.5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. <laughs> All right, so Babylonians, uh, Babylonia is the world's power. All right, They have got the best food in the world. And it's just like <laughs> some restaurants, they just keep bringing it and bringing it. And bringing it. And so these, again, Daniel and his friends are probably around 14 or 15 years old, or it was no adolescence uh, back in Scripture. And, and I think I might have tempted them, right? It'd be like if you had a, a pass, uh, a Chicago eatery pass, and you could go to any restaurant 
you wanted in the Chicagoland area, and it would be free, like a cruise, right? They just keep feeding you. The food's always there. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Out to Morton Steakhouse and Ditka's and Chili's. <laughs> you can do everything because, again, this is a lifetime pass. This is what was offered to these young men. They were to be educated at three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. So they had to go through an educational process as well. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. He took away their Jewish names, and he gave them the name of different Babylonian gods. Uh, Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Now, Daniel and his friends accept that. Okay, well, you can call us something different. We know who we are. We know where our identity lies. So if you want to call us a different name, you know, that's fine. It's also fine if you want to, you know, put us through your grad program for leadership and the Babylon <laughs> uh, rulers. Uh, because we've, we've been taught Scripture. Uh, we know the truth. And so as we go through that education, we can kind of say, okay, that's right. That's really wrong. And so that's okay too. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Come on, Daniel, that's the best part of the gig, right? You know, you get all this great food. You have to go to school, you're not, but you get the great food, right? And Daniel resolved before that time he had made decisions. He had built convictions in his life about what pleased God and what didn't please God. So when he was faced with this temptation of all this great food, he just couldn't eat it. He resolved. In fact, I was reading a story about a 12-year-old girl who was in New York and she was at a middle school and she had chicken McNuggets, okay? Very valued food, right? Chicken McNuggets. Huh? And one of the kids in the class came up and said, give me one of your McNuggets. And she said, no. No, you can't do that. So he followed her into a subway, and he took out a gun and put it to her head and said, Give me a chicken McNugget. You know what she did? She just slapped the gun away. <laughs> no! You are not having my chicken McNuggets, any of them! Now that's resolved. One spunky girl, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that's the idea of conviction and really believing in something. So what we see King Nebuchadnezzar doing is taking them through an assimilation process. He wants to assimilate them. He wants to enwrap them in Chaldean culture. So the names, the education, the food and lifestyle. Now, 
These were things that they could not do. They could not live out the food, that diet, and the lifestyle of the Chaldeans. Why is that? Well, first of all, this food had been sacrificed to Babylonian gods. And God had a very strict dietary code in the law. And you should not eat that. And so Daniel said, we can't eat that. Another part of it was was non-kosher foods. And of course, uh, there's a lot of restrictions in the Jewish diet in the Old uh, Testament. And so a lot of it was not even uh, something they could eat. Feasts. Now, this is where the action happened, you know. When we look for exciting things to go to, we might go to a wedding or a really big party or go out to a movie, something like that. Back in that day, uh, the best thing was these banquets that they had. I mean, because they really got a lot of food there. And it really was very self-indulgent because maybe some of you remember that, that they would eat and eat and eat until they were about to explode. And then they went to the middle of the banquet hall, and there was a hole there, and they vomited it up. Why? So they could eat some more. That is pretty much what self-indulgence is. I want this, and I want a lot of it, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to continue to enjoy this. And also the materialism. Again, these type of feasts were unholy and a lot of things going on. And, and so that's why Daniel had to say no. Can't eat the food and don't want to be impacted by the lifestyle. You know, it's interesting. As you look at what forms you as a person, it's the lifestyle of the people around you. It's not the philosophers. Now, again, their philosophy 200 years ago might be impacting your life. But the thing that you run into trouble with is the American lifestyle. And in many ways, it is corrupt. But that's the one area where Satan will get you. He'll bring you in through the lifestyle and say, that's okay, no big deal, when it is a big deal. Daniel 1.8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. You see, Daniel had a strong spiritual core where he was very much within God's desires in terms of the decisions that he uh, was making. And friends, that's what we all should seek to do is to build that spiritual core in our lives, and especially parents, that's your main job is to build a spiritual core in that young child and continue to build it until they're ready for adulthood so that they have the right knowledge. They have a relationship with God. Because as you know, the world throws everything at them. You've got to be resolved. You know, if you're, if you're uh, with a, a man or with another woman, you're making out and it's heating up, that is not the time to say, how far should we go? Let's have a discussion here. Okay? It doesn't work too well. What you do is you say, okay, you know, 
we love each other, we're going to get married, but there's going to be a, a line that we stop at to honor God. Now, that sounds so antiquated today, doesn't it? But it's God's truth. Sex is a precious gift that must be protected. Let's say you go to the office and there's some employees there and they get together to talk regularly and you'd like to be a part of that conversation because, you know, you want to build relationships with your fellow co-workers, especially if you're climbing the career ladder. And when you get in these conversations, they're gossiping, slandering, uh, tearing down the boss, whatever. Uh, they, it's just not a healthy situation to be in. But then you might say, well, but I really need to get to know them, so I just won't say anything. Well, your presence is a problem, right? You need to step away from that to whatever extent that you can. So before you take on the job, you say, I am going to glorify God with my life. And if there's anything on this job that does not glorify Him, I'm going to do everything I can to act in a godly way. You see, we need to predetermine these things in our life. And we're a disciple-making family here. We want to help everyone grow to be a disciple of Christ, a strong disciple of Christ. And I'm in that group too. I'm, I'm still growing. Okay, so we talk about the spiritual disciplines, prayer and Bible intake and fasting. Well, those are the things we want to teach each other in order, among other of the spiritual disciplines, in order that we might grow strong in the Lord. But Daniel resolved. It's a very strong statement. And, you know, as you study Daniel, you say, boy, I wish my kids would have the character of Daniel. I mean, his integrity was unbelievable. And so, especially if you have smaller kids, you're thinking, wow, that would be great if that happened. Now, let's continue on. Daniel 1.9. And God gave. Is that familiar? Second time. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So, Daniel's about to present a plan on how they can solve this whole thing. But God gave. You know, the Christian life is not being busy and working as hard as you can with your own will that you're going to get things done right. No, no. It's all about you know, submitting yourself to God. Saying, God, I want to follow You. I want to do the right thing. Would You just build that conviction deeper and deeper into my life? And He will. And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my Lord the King who... Assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the ewes are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. This guy's basically saying, hey, listen, uh, that's a great plan and everything. We wish we could do it, but, you know, I like my head. 
uh, I like to have a head, and I know that if I helped you in this way, I might be beheaded, which is, of course, very common in that day. So look how Daniel responds. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food to be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So the eunuch listened to him in this matter, and they tested him for ten days. Now, again, this is the way they were going to continue to eat for three years in order to stay pure. It was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. How do you like that? Now, friends, this is not a diet that should be celebrated. I know they have the Daniel diet out there. No, no, this is a miracle. (laughs) If you eat vegetables and water, you're not going to gain much weight. I'll tell you that, right? This is a miracle of God. I mean, yes, follow diets, but not the Daniel diet. This was a purpose to show the miraculous power of God. <laughs> How exciting. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. What do you think he did with the food? Oh, he had a great three years, man. <laughs> I mean, he had to take the food like they're eating it. And I don't know, maybe there were several of them. And every night they would sit down <laughs> and have a great meal. Daniel 17, as for these four ewes, God gave them learning and skill. Oh, what did we see there? As for these four ewes, say it with me, God gave. Them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Hey, there was a bonus for Daniel. He was able to interpret dreams, which we'll see. We'll come and very uh, helpful uh, next week as we talk about Daniel. But God gave. In becoming a stronger disciple, you need to realize that God is in control. And you can work your head off. But if God's not going to bless it, it's not worth it. And, And the way that we show God that we believe his, He is in control is for prayer. Right? That's when you say, God, I need your help. Not just in emergencies, but in every other area of your life. Whatever you're struggling with today, whatever heavy on your heart, pray. Pray. Pray this afternoon. Pray tonight. Keep on praying. As long as that problem is causing you pain and uh, you're looking for some type of resolution, just keep on praying because that's when God will deliver. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded, now this is all the way through the three years. Okay, so they've been eating vegetables for three years. Uh, But they should be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them And among all of them, there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. 
And in the matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were on the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Uh, that's when he went to the lion's den. Uh, he was about 70. How you like that, huh? I mean, you know, ten times better. How much better is that? What if you were ten times better? I mean, think about it. It'd be awesome if you were ten times better. And these guys, they show up eating vegetables, and they are incredibly intelligent. And God has allowed them to be the most knowledgeable, uh, the most able to deal with the different issues that they were taught about. And that's cool, huh? Maybe you students might want to start praying about your grades. I don't know if it'll be ten times better, but it'll be better. But Daniel resolved, or he said again, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to dissolve, uh, defile himself. So Daniel had convictions, deep convictions in his life. And he says, I'm not crossing over this line. You can kill me because I'm living for God. And I want to live a life that glorifies Him. Resolved. What a deep word in terms of making decisions. It's interesting. I ran across a summary of this book called U.S. Religious Altars. And what they did was, first of all, they defined worship. And that was something that gives meaning to you as you're involved in it and give your time to it. So here are the altars that sometimes we worship at. Entertainment. Yeah. Watch too much entertainment. The wrong entertainment. Technology. What if I just said, okay, I want you guys to trust in God. If you just pass your smartphones to the aisle. We'll take care of them this week. You start freaking out. Maybe run out of here. <laughs> this is a cult. They're taking my smartphone away. That's how dependent we've become on, on the technology. Body and sex. Don't need to say anything else. Sports. Sports. Politics. Big business. Science. As parents, we need to realize, and also with ourselves, that the world influences us much more than we could ever imagine. In fact, they did a study, and they found that by the age of 10, the average 10-year-old can identify 300 to 400 brand names. They just soak it in. They're being trained by the world, right? Because... They know if they can get the kids early, then they can keep them for the rest of their life. That's like all the credit cards at that point. You know, that's how dangerous it out there. It's also funny. Uh, another study uh, took McDonald's uh, food, and they offered it to the children 
with a McDonald's wrapper on it. And then they offered it without a McDonald's wrapper. Which did they like better? The McDonald's. They took carrots. They took milk. McDonald's. Other packaging, they always chose the brand name. You as parents need to realize how strong of a culture impacts the lives of your kids. And if you're going to build a Daniel-type character, you have to really be committed to doing that. Now, this is the core. I've been working on their core lately. I've got great abs, but I'm not going to show them. Um, The whole idea of the core is, is that you work on the core because your arms are attached to it, your head's attached to it. I mean, really, if you have a strong core, you know, midsection muscles, uh, you are going uh, to be less likely to injure yourself. You're going to have a longer life and you'll be able to maneuver things. You know, when you do some exercise or move something, oh, my back, that type of thing. The idea is to keep a healthy core. And this is the same thing, as I said, about raising children. You've got to develop the core in them. And I know what you say, hey, kids, let's sit down and Read a Bible story. Oh, we've been waiting for you to ask. Can we read several Bible stories? No. No. They they don't want to be doing that stuff because they have no idea how important it is. Right? But So therefore, you have to make a resolution that you're going to do everything to help your child grow in Christ. Daniel's character, pray for your children. I prayed for my children every day for many, 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 many years. And I'll continue to pray for them until the day I die. Because my main responsibility and glory is to raise children with a Daniel-type character. Just pray for your children. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it's making a difference, but God is always listening. Parents need to model Christian living. Again, as you know, you picked a lot of stuff up from your parents, right? As you were older, you said, oh, that's my dad, or that's my mom, or oh, never went, never wanted to go there. <laughs> you know? But that enculturation of living with them in those formative years, it just happens. Yeah, but spiritual teaching just doesn't happen. You have got to be very, very devoted to it. Teach them God's Word every day. This is the Shema, which uh, Jewish families would say twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And they said that twice a day. What if you did that? That would be an interesting experiment, wouldn't it? Take the Shema there. 
We're back in the Old Testament. God will use it today and say, hey, this is a verse that we're going to go over every day. Just to keep everything in perspective about what's important. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Hey, you need to take those teachable moments You need to give them opportunities to be a part of that and to learn. But it's going to take some effort on your part, right? That's the only way that spiritual core is going to be laid. The key thing is not bringing them up at church. The key thing is you live the lifestyle and you teach them what truly is important in life. Then be committed to Living in a disciple-making community like here at Springbrook. And, and it's just so important. And I, I really have a burden about this. And, you know, I just look at some families today and uh, the spiritual growth of their children is not a priority. Sometimes people come and say, yeah, the kids didn't want to come today. What do you mean the kids didn't want to come today? Do they go every day to school or do you give them a choice in that area as well? Or the people say, well, you know, I want my, my child to find his own faith. Here you're micromanaging the kid in every area of his life and you decide to give the most important thing away? Come on! Not smart at all. But friends, I guarantee you, that if you raise your children and you make spiritual development the key priority in your family, that it will impact their lives forever. You know, we all have altars that we bow, bow down to, right? Everybody's got an altar, you know. Politics, oh my, this past year. <laughs> entertainment, uh, too much and the wrong kind of entertainment. Technology, body and sex, sports. Look at that list. And say, okay, if we had to describe the top priority in our family, which one would it be? Would it be God? Where do you spend the most time, the most energy? What's most important for you in developing your child? And friends, that's why we're here as a disciple-making community, to remind you that the most important thing that's going to help your kids 20 years from now is not how much they know, it's not how well they can do a particular sport. It's going to be their soul. And you have the responsibility to develop it. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I'm a new Christian myself. Well, it doesn't matter. Start where you're at. And we're, that's why we're here. We're here to build families and encourage families in this area because it doesn't come real easily. It really doesn't. But I know my three boys... They're attending church every week. And they're out of our hands, you know. They do whatever they want. But why are they doing that? They learn that from mom and dad. And if they're going to spiritually grow, if they're going to put life together as it should be, if they need to walk with God. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time. 
And Lord, I pray, you know, people feel guilty if there's a reason to confess. Please let them do that. But the whole point is it can start out. If your kid is 50 years old, <laughs> you can still influence them. I was talking to somebody outside in the atrium. And she was telling me how she was continuing to draw her youngest son to the Lord. And she was in her 70s. We all have kids in our lives that we want to encourage. And Lord, it's not easy. It's not natural. We've got to throw a lot of granny shots as Christians. Do things that are outside the norm. But you call us to be separate. You call us to be different. In Christ's name, amen.